Open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, please. Brother David and Sister Janet played for the offertory, probably my favorite Christmas carol. Uh, oh, Holy Night, uh, in which we are encouraged through that song to fall on our knees uh, before him and worship him. That is a challenge that I uh, issued to you four weeks ago uh, on the first Sunday of uh, uh, December as we began to look at the four first Christmas carols that Luke recorded in his gospel. We've talked about Mary's song. We've looked at Zachariah's song last week. We look at the angel's song, and today we will look at Simeon's song. And the, the, again, the focal point uh, for me in these last four weeks is twofold. Number one, if you're here and you never have accepted Christ as your personal Savior, that you would understand that he is the only hope that man has for a Savior. Uh, that is paramount, that you understand that and that you'd be willing to come to him for that salvation. But... Again, I, I want to emphasize to those of us that are his children, especially those of us that have been his children for a long period of time, that the Christmas story, if we're not very careful, we become very over-familiar with it. And it's just another, you know, rendition of uh, the virgin birth and the star and the shepherd and the wise men and the angels, and, and we just, we know it so well. Uh, over-familiarity can breed contempt. And, and I would just challenge you to, uh, as I have tried to do each uh, week this month, as we look at these songs, do not let this story just be the same old story that we've, you know, celebrated every year this time of year, but to actually join with the authors of these first four uh, Christmas carols and, and, and sing with them and, and join in with the worship uh, so this morning, we'll look at the first uh, Christmas carol, Simeon's song, uh, as found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 25 through 35. Before we read that, uh, I could just imagine that if, if it, maybe it was on a morning much like this, that we might have been standing around and heard a conversation begin something like this. So, Brother Simeon, what do you plan to do today? Well, I'll be waiting. Well, isn't that what you were doing yesterday? Well, yes. Yes, it is. In fact, it's what I do every day. Well, Brother Simeon, is that all you do? Well, no, it's not all that I do. Uh, in part and truth, it's most of what I do. And I have to tell you, it's probably the best part of what I do. Well, Brother Simeon, how long have you been waiting every day like this? Well, most of my adult life. Brother Simeon, do you mind telling me what it is that you're waiting for? With a smile on his face, he said, not at all. I'm waiting for the consolation of Israel. Well, will you recognize it when it comes? And the smile just got even broader. Oh, yes. Yes, I, I will see and know him when I see him for the first time. Well, Brother Simeon, let me ask you one more question. If you've been waiting most of your adult life, and now you're a, a well-aged man, and, 
and obviously you've not seen the consolation of Israel yet. Is it possible that you've missed them? Is it possible that you've missed something? Is it possible that you've been waiting for something that will never happen? The smile drops off just a little bit with a very serious look. And he says, no, I've not missed a thing. The consolation of Israel is coming in the person of Jesus the Christ. Luke records for us that on one particular day after Joseph and Mary were bringing the babe Jesus to the, to the temple for the, the, to fulfill the, the law of Moses on certain things that had to be done. And so they were on their way. And as they entered in through uh, one of the gates into the temple complex, the, the Bible tells us that Simeon saw him and he ran over there and he grabbed the baby up. Now I want you to think for just a minute. I want you to think for just a minute, all right? Remember that this is Mary's first child. Remember that Mary is not 20 years old. Mary's probably somewhere in the age range of about 12 or 13. Remember how particular you were with your first child, Mom, and imagine some perfect stranger comes over and grabs your kid out of the stroller. And yet Simeon goes over and grabs up Jesus. Brother David, I love this. Having beheld the consolation of Israel, he makes a request. Lord, will you now let me die in peace? I don't know of many men in scripture that you can find that would, be, would request of the Lord, please let me now die in peace. For I have seen with these aged eyes the hope, the redeemer, the savior. I have seen the consolation of Israel. And I'm ready to go. Just as a side note, don't ever make the request to die in peace until you have seen the consolation. Until you have seen the savior. Simeon says, I'm ready to go. Join with me, if you will, and read in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, beginning of verse 25, or you can follow along on the screen. There's Bibles in the pew backs in front of you. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents uh, brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he, him up in his arms, and he blessed God, and he said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at all those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them, and said unto Mary his, brother, uh, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and the rising again of many in Israel. And for a sign which shall be spoken against, yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Father, we come to you this morning. We ask for your blessings upon the reading of your word. We ask for understanding as we look into your word. 
We ask for spiritual sight that we might see our Lord's Christ. That we might see him as salvation. Father, that we might see ourselves as nothing more than recipients of his incredible, amazing grace. And that we might understand, having received the gift of salvation, our life is not our own any longer, but it belongs to you. That we might live our life for your honor and for your glory. And we ask all these things in your precious name. Amen. In verse 25, Simeon said, I have been looking and looking every day of my life. You see, God had revealed to me that I would not die until that day that I see the consolation of Israel. For David, you might be interested to know this word consolation is one of your favorite words, that paraclete or paracleto. And I've shared with you before that this word paraclete is the word that that we find translated in scriptures as uh, comforter. Uh, Sometimes Paul says, I I, I beseech you. That's that word paraclete. And and the idea of paraclete comes from, uh, it's a compound Greek word. And it comes from the the preposition para, which means alongside, such as a parallel line runs alongside of another. So it's para, and then it's the verb kaleo, which means to call out. Say, well, I'm not sure that I understand what a consolation is then if it is to call out alongside. Well, the idea comes from someone who is in distress, someone who is in need, someone who is in trouble, someone who can't go one more step on their own. And so they call out for somebody to come alongside of them and encourage them and support them and to comfort them and to assist them. And so that's what this word is. And and it, it can have different flavors of meanings. But in this particular setting, it is used as the idea of a deliverer, a savior, someone that I can call out to and they will come alongside of me and help me because I am not able to do for myself that which need be done. God had promised Israel that he would send a savior. That's what this word consolation means. A a savior in this particular use of the word. Someone that's called alongside of us. Throughout scriptures we're told that he is identified with his brethren. And that is you and I that he is identified by putting upon himself flesh. So that he might save us. Whenever the angels announced that Jesus would be born, they announced that this child would be born, and they announced that his child will be named Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. The consolation, the paraclete. Notice in verse 30 that that, that uh, a, a different word is used, and here he is referred to as the salvation. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. I want you to think with me for just a minute. We talked Wednesday night for those that were here and, and, and talked about sometimes we just wonder how they didn't see it, how they didn't get it. I, I, I shared with a member that sometimes I just I feel like I want to take all of Israel and just kind of grab them by their shirt and, and, and hold them with this hand and this hand, just smack them back and forth. How do you not see this? Why are you so blind to this? Well, not that I'm excusing it, but let's think for just a moment. In the past of of Israel's history, when they thought about a Savior, 
When you think of salvation or deliverance or a rescuer, perhaps they might think, well, you know, there was a time in our history when God delivered us from physical bondage without a war. You see, we were in bondage to Egypt. And God delivered us and there never was even a battle fought. And they might think a little bit later, well, you know, God delivered us from the Red Sea. And he did so without a boat. And they might think, you know, and after we crossed the Red Sea, we got out into the wilderness and we grew hungry and we grew thirsty. And God delivered us. He, he rescued us from starvation and from, from dehydration. And there was no McDonald's around. And perhaps they could think of all the times that God has delivered. And all of those deliverances were of a physical nature. And so now they're sitting in Israel and, 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 and they are just, they're, they're burdened down with the weight of Rome being there as their oppressors. Although Rome was probably better to them than most of their other oppressors. For Rome said, listen, worship your God. We don't care. As long as you pay taxes and you don't bring a revolt, we really don't care what y'all do. And so in some ways, Rome was good to them. But the, the idea that they were in the land that was promised to their fathers. The land that belonged to them. And they were promised that they would be a nation through all the nations of the world would be blessed. And here they are, still oppressed. And so as they're looking for this salvation... They're expecting, not because scriptures told them it would be this way at first, but they're expecting the Jesus that rides not in on a donkey uh, for the triumphal entry, but they're expecting the Jesus that will ride in on the stallion in the book of, of Revelation. They're not looking for the Jesus that's going to ride in and be born of, of lowly birth and so forth. They're looking for the Jesus that returns in the end of the book of Revelation in power and in glory. And out of his mouth goes a sharp two-edged sword. That's what they're looking for. They did not consider the scriptures. But I, I would ask you to do me a favor. Would you do me a favor and would you go back to our text and look at chapter 2 and verse 38. Luke records, And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Go back to chapter 1. Let's begin reading in verse 74. Chapter 1, verse 74. That he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou child shall be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Well. Yeah, that's what we're looking for. Somebody's going to rid us of our enemies and we can serve the Lord when, without fear. But notice verse 77 and 78. To give knowledge of salvation. Obviously, they didn't have a good understanding of salvation. Isn't it amazing how God knows us better than we know ourselves sometimes? God knew that they didn't get salvation as he intended it. God knew that when he, when he promised a Messiah, that when he talked about a Redeemer, a consolation of Israel, that they would think, oh, well, finally, we're going to get somebody that's going to run Rome off of our back. <laughs> and not only will he run Rome off of our back, but 
there'll never be anybody that will domineer us again. This will be great. He knew them better than they knew themselves, And so he has to give them knowledge of salvation unto his people. Now notice verse 37, or 77, by what? By getting Rome out of town? What's he say in chapter 1, verse 77? By remission of sins. Isn't it amazing how God knew them so well? <laughs> I'm going to promise y'all a consolation, and, and I know what you're going to think. <laughs> Your mind is going to think this, and you're going to have parades and, and, and confetti flying, and we're going to have this triumphal march, and there'll be drums and trumpets, and, and, and we'll have all of our enemies underneath our foot and standing on their neck, and boy, this will be great. And Jesus said, no, 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 wait, wait, wait a minute. That day's coming, by the way. But what I'm talking about is consolation and the remission of your sins. Verse 78, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. This morning I want to close out our study of these first four hymns, these, these first four carols recorded by Luke. And all of them have had as its central theme the idea of salvation. This morning I want to look at salvation from four prepositions very quickly. I won't be long. Salvation in four prepositions. The four prepositions are for, from, by, and through. For, from, by, and through. Now if you're looking for three, sermon, uh, three points in a poem, I'm, we're, we're just out of luck this morning. Four prepositions. First of all, salvation for all people. Salvation for all people. I want you to know that what Christ came to bring that morning was salvation for all people. I, I get so excited about this, I, I just can't wait. I've, I've been chomping at the bits all week for you to see this. Go back to our text, Luke chapter 2, and I want you to look very closely with me, if you will, at verse 30. Now, Generally, when the Bible talks about salvation, and, and Paul does this a lot, he says it is to who first? It is to the Jew first, and then what? And then also to the Greek. But I want you to look at, look at what Luke does. This is I, Maybe I'm just a simple mind, but this is exciting stuff to me. Look at verse 30. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, and we would expect him to say that salvation which belongs to the Hebrews. But look what he says. Mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of what? All people. And you can just imagine those that may be reading and those that may have heard and, and, and they're saying, wait, 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 say that again. Who? All people? M me? I, I can receive this salvation from God? You see, all of those Gentiles and all of those that have become proselytes to the Jewish faith, they've been told over and over and over again, you might be a proselyte, but when the day is done, guess what? You're still a Gentile, and you'll never be a Jew. You'll never be up there with us. Here is a Luke, uh, here is a, a Luke, obviously. Here is a Gentile writer, and he is so excited. 
Now, yes, in the, in the previous messages we've looked at, as we record some of these, uh, of these songs, he goes back and he talks a lot about the promises of God and that he has made good on them to the Israelis. And, and we've talked a lot about that. But now here is Luke, and it's almost like Luke can't take it anymore. I just got to tell y'all, this is exciting stuff. Yes, it is for the Jews, and yes, it came to the Jews, and it came through the Jews, and yes, all of these promises to the Jews. But guys, when it's all said and done... Simeon said, I have seen the salvation, and that salvation is before all people. Notice the next verse. Mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten. Oh, there it is again. Who? The Gentiles. And notice this. And the glory of thy people Israel. Guess who gets the last billing this time? I, I don't mean that to slight the Israelites, but I, this is such a, a, a brand new thought in a world that, that didn't understand any of this. That consolation had come, but it had not come just to Israel. And it had not come just to the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the Essenes or the this is or that's and the other. But consolation had come to all the world, including the Gentile. Boy, y'all are hard to impress. Has salvation really become so commonplace to us that, that we... We just have lost. I, I, I can't see Simeon picking up that baby and saying, the consolation of Israel which God has prepared before the face of all people and, 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 and for a light and for the Gentiles and for the glory of Israel and have the same look on his face that many of us have right now. Loud and ear from ear grinning, tears flowing, and just, man, listen, the Bible says we've been living in darkness for, for millennia now. The Bible describes that here we have this terrible condition and there's not a thing that any of us can do about it. All the religion of the Jews and all the religion of the Greeks and all the religion of the Romans and all the religion of the Egyptians and all the religion of mankind and there's nothing that can be done if God doesn't send a consolation. Oh, but he did. And my eye. My eyes are staring into the young eyes of not just a baby, but the consolation of Israel that has been prepared before the face of all people as a light to lighten the Gentiles. And finally then, as a glory of Israel you see, people are saved not on, account, not on account of them saving themselves with a wee bit of help from God, although that's what man wants to believe. That's why it is such a common belief to believe that 
that, that you could lose your salvation. That's why it's such a common and a, and a popular to believe that I could be saved by being baptized or I could be saved by doing this or I can be saved by doing that because then I can point at myself and say, look at what I have accomplished. But when it comes to understanding true salvation, I, I completely get removed out of the equation. I didn't do anything. It is all a work of God. And it's for all people. You can be old, you can be young, you can be rich, you can be poor. You can be highly educated or you can be uneducated. You can be black, white, yellow, green, whatever color you want to be. You can be from this nation or any other nation. And you can be born into any culture in the world. And regardless of who you are, where you were born, when you were born, to whom you were born to, regardless of any of that, in that baby is the consolation of Israel, but the light for every Gentile that will look to him. They were delivered wholly, as you and I have been delivered wholly by God's work. Salvation is not the story of men and women saving ourselves, doing our best, and hoping that it all is good enough when we get there. It is asking God to give us a hand, a paraclete. It is the story of salvation or the story of salvation is the story of God doing for us what we patently are unable to do for ourselves, and that is to be saved from our sin and to be saved from the consequences of our sin. So this salvation is for all people. Remember the angel's song. This, new, this day is born unto you in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, and he is a Savior to all people. So we're, we're, salvation is for all people. Salvation is from sin. We understand this idea of salvation more than we like to let on. Uh, I hear people from time to time, they'll say, well, Bridget, what do you mean be saved? I, I don't understand being saved. Well, it's not near as complicated as we try to make it. You ever gone to uh, a point in your life where uh, you know, you just didn't know how you were going to make it through the next week as far as financially, and all of a sudden something happens, and you might be tempted to say, well, I was delivered from financial ruin by Ed McMahon or whatever that showed up and brought you his check for $10 million. Or maybe you were in some particular situation where, where you know, you were, your life was in peril, but somebody at the last moment showed up and delivered you I remember as a child sometimes sitting in church services and the preacher was like me, long-winded, and I think, I'm going to starve to death before we get out of here. And we get delivered from that peril because he finally hushes. We understand what it means to be delivered. We understand what it means to be saved. However, in this particular situation, it is much different. What is it that they need to be saved from? I don't know if anybody else does this. I listen to uh, The Buzz regular on the radio it's 103.7 and let me say this so that I make sure that I, I'm not open for a lawsuit later on these are not the views of the buzz 103.7 these are simply the views of somebody that you know but anyway and I was listening the other day and it was on one of the morning talk shows that was important and they were talking about Christmas and the time of year it is and, and all the people that are sitting there
not a, a more stable environment, a more stable world. Although whenever you ask the, the, the beauty pageant contestants, you know, what, what does man need? And they'll say world peace. And, but see, world peace can't happen until the need of man is met, and that's salvation. It's all about addressing our need as sinners. Salvation from our sin. The good news that salvation has come from God's own hand after we are so offensive in the very presence of God. As I've mentioned, our world has gotten so out of balance. We're so worried about political correctness and we're so worried about not offending and we're so worried about not saying something that, that, and, and we're so worried about the pluralism and all of this and that and the other that we don't want to say sin is sin. One of the biggest named preachers, and I mean the largest named preacher currently uh, in, in uh, contemporary times, was asked, would you tell a person that they're sinful. And he said, absolutely not. That's not my place. I beg to differ. John the Baptist came forth and he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when, go back and read this if you think I'm telling you wrong, when the Pharisees come out to the baptism service, what did he say? Who warned you? And if you're here, because you've repented and you want to be baptized, show me some fruit of your repentance first. We follow Christ as our example. 
and we're so worried about being politically correct and not saying anything. And yet when Jesus looked at the Pharisees, what did he say? Woe unto you, 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 you group of snakes and asps, and, and, and all you are is a white sepulcher on the outside, and you've been all whitewashed and made pretty, but on the inside you're filled with corruption and decay and rot. Woe unto you, hypocrites. Wouldn't take him long to be banned and censored, would it, in our world? I'm not saying we set out to make everybody mad, but I would encourage us, if there ain't but three of us left here doing it, the three of us continue to announce the good news of Jesus Christ, that salvation is for all people and that salvation is from sin, and my friend, you are a sinner, and you need a Savior. Salvation by God's grace. So herein is the problem. We have this bad news of our sin. But the news keeps getting worse. Not only are we sinners, but we are terminally ill with this sin. That's what Jeremiah wrote in his book. That man is desperately wicked. If you look at those Hebrew words, it means that he is terminally, he is, he is fatally sick in his heart. His heart is anti-God. His heart is not interested in doing good. His heart is not interested in, in, in the things of God. His heart is interested in whatever makes him happy. So the, 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 the good news just keeps getting worse and worse for you and I. We're sinners, and there's not a thing we can do about it. There's nothing that can change that as far as on our own. But then there's God, who we are so offensive in his presence. And yet, by his grace, he moves. To me, that's what that, that's what that manger screams grace name one person that was worthy of Christ stepping out of eternity past in glory and robing himself in flesh among humanity nobody and not even all combined salvation is for all people it is from our sin and it's only by God's grace. I can't be good enough. I can't become religious enough. We were talking in the Sunday school class this morning about are we a more religious world now than they were back then? The answer is no, not really. But now understand this. There is a difference between religion and, and righteousness. <laughs> they were religious to the nth degree. They had God after God after God after God. And if you don't think for a minute that they weren't serious about it, then explain to me why they sacrificed their own kids to some of these gods. Oh, they were religious. You could go to the temple and, and, and have a temple prostitute to worship God by. Oh, they were religious. But one of the most religious elitists came to Jesus one day and said, Master, what am I going to have to do to have eternal life? 
Obviously, he knew his religion wasn't getting the job done. Salvation for all people. Salvation from sin. Salvation by God's grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 10. For by grace have you been saved through faith, which brings us to our last point, salvation through faith. It is true that salvation is available to all. It is equally true that salvation has been offered to all. There are some people who call themselves Baptists that disagree with both of those statements. They don't believe salvation is for all, and they don't believe salvation has been offered to all. The Bible says it is. But it is also true that while salvation is universal, it is clearly not received automatically. I wasn't sitting in a church one day and just bam, all of a sudden, salvation came upon me. I was sitting in a church one day when a preacher was preaching a politically incorrect sermon an offensive sermon, telling me that I was a sinner, telling me that I was a liar, telling me that I deserved to die and go to hell for my sins. When the Spirit of God began to convict me and convince me that what he was saying was true. But you know, at that point, salvation still did not occur to me, did not happen to me. As the Spirit began to convict me, I sat there and did what most lost people and really even children of God do often on that pew in front of me. And boy, I was trying to make a pile of sawdust. I was just working that pew over. I don't want to go up there. I ain't going up there. The longer I fought it, the more the Spirit convicted me. But I still wasn't saved yet. So I walked up and I talked to the preacher. And you know what? I still wasn't saved yet. And the preacher said, here, say these words. And I said the words, and guess what, y'all? I was still lost and going to hell. It was not until I put my faith in him that I became saved. That is when he convicted me that, yes, I was a sinner. That, yes, salvation was for all. That, yes, salvation was from sin and that yes salvation was was by his grace but it was also through my faith that I put in him and faith is not saying well I know that Jesus lived faith is not saying I know he died on a cross faith is not even saying I know he died on a cross for sins faith is not even saying that he died on a cross for sins and I'm a sinner faith is trusting in him to do for me what I cannot do for myself. It is relying upon him. It is taking my life and placing it in God's hands and say, God, if I'm ever going to be saved, you're going to have to do it. And I believe, I trust, I depend upon you to do it. Salvation is by grace but it's through faith I've mentioned to you a couple times through these studies that I fear that people view God in the Old Testament as some God that was really ticked off 
and that the God in the New Testament, he kind of was feeling a lot better about everything. And so he began to soften and to change. My Bible says God does not change. The God of the Old Testament that hates sin is the God of the New Testament that still hates sin. But the God of the Old Testament that said, I will send the consolation is the God of the New Testament that sent consolation so that we might have salvation even as a Gentile. We might have salvation from our sin, that we might have salvation by his grace, and that we might have salvation through faith. Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you so much.